You know, our hearts have been broken um, with the tragic death of uh, George Floyd. Um, our hearts break as we see the racial unrest, um, the protests, many of them peaceful, but some of them violent. Um, when we think about the injustices that are still going on, uh, racism in our own hearts and our own lives. And we want to be light in this world. Um, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to be a part of the solution and bringing peace and, and uh, racial reconciliation. So we're planning a special time of prayer on Tuesday night. Instead of starting at 6, we'll start at 7 o'clock with a Zoom meeting. And uh, we had hoped that maybe we could do something with, with candles, but uh, because, of course, the pandemic and distancing, uh, the way we thought we could do this is as we close at about 8 o'clock on Tuesday night, we're going to invite you to light a candle um, or some kind of light, either inside or outside, just to spend a moment of praying about how we can let our light shine in the world to bring peace and justice in the name of Jesus Christ. I've asked Dan Lewis to come and to lead us in a time of prayer to get our hearts ready and prepared for this special time of prayer on Tuesday night. Thank you, Neil. What an incredible privilege. What an honor. What a personal blessing that is that you've invited me to come into your presence through prayer. Our entire country is grieving the death of George Floyd. The protests and all these things that are taking place. This is the word of God. It will change your life. It is written. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Most merciful and triune God, we come to you in our weakness. We come to you in our fear. We come to you with trust. For you alone are our hope. We place before you this disease of coronavirus that is in our presence today and also in the world. We also place before you the issues that is confronting our country in social justice. We are asking that our country adhere to your words of equality, the words of the Bible and the words on which our great country is founded. We are created equal and endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, justice for all, and the pursuit of happiness. Lord God, we have no idea where we're going we do not see the road ahead of us. We cannot know for certain where we're in. Nor do we really know ourselves and the fact that we think that we're following your will does not mean that we're actually doing so. But we believe that desire to please you does in fact please you. 
And we hope that we will never do anything apart from that desire. And we know that if we do this, you will lead us by the right road, though we may know nothing about it. Therefore, we will trust you always, though we may seem to be lost in the shadow of death. We will not fear, for you are ever with us, and you will never leave us to face our perils alone. Jesus, we trust in you. Jesus, we trust in you. Jesus, we trust in you. Let us all say, amen, amen. Amen. We sure do appreciate uh, Dan sharing that, leading us in that prayer and, uh, and, and uh, just preparing our hearts for this time of worship. I want to bring to you uh, this evening uh, or this morning, whenever you're watching a message uh, that I'm calling, back, uh, calling paid back double. And uh, this, this is a message that the Lord has had on my heart uh, probably since almost the beginning of this pandemic uh, season. Uh, since uh, just a little past Easter Sunday, and yet I feel that it's more appropriate uh, this time, maybe even than when I first began to think about it. Uh, so uh, I want to start off with a story from when I was uh, a much uh, younger adult, just kind of out on my own, and I did not have uh, a whole lot of money. And I remember I had a car that was um, not in great shape uh, to begin with, and then I began to have trouble uh, with the transmission of that car, and it was clear it was not going to run much further uh, with the transmission problems that I was having. And so I took it uh, to a shop and, and had them look at it, and, uh, and they told me this particular car, the transmission was rather expensive to replace, and uh, they told me the cost, and it was more than really uh, probably the car was worth, and I didn't know how I was going to pay for the repair, and I didn't know what I was going to do uh, without having a vehicle. And, uh, and so, uh, but as it happened, uh, that evening, while the car was, was there on the lot, uh, somebody broke in to the, uh, the car lot, and they, uh, of all the cars that were there, and I have no idea why they would pick my old uh, beater, but they, they decided to steal my car. And uh, they tried to take off with it, and so what they did is they thought they could just ram through the fence. They just climbed over the fence. They thought they could just ram through it with a car on the way out, but there was a ditch leading up to the fence, and the car, maybe because the transmission was bad, got stuck in that ditch. As they rammed through the fence, they got about halfway through the fence, and then they got stuck, and then they just abandoned uh, the vehicle there. And so uh, the, the repair people come in the next day, there's the car halfway out of the fence, and they call me up, and uh, hey, somebody tried to steal your car. And because it was on their lot, it actually, this fell under their insurance. And, uh, and so um, the body was all scratched up from, the, from going through the fence. And as you know, body work can be uh, very expensive. And so they kind of gave me this option. They're like, well, we can, we can pay this much. We can pay to have the body work uh, done to fix the car, which uh, would be like great body work, but still doesn't have a transmission. Or they're like, or oh, we'll give you this lump sum of money. And so I went from having a car that would not run and no idea how I was going to replace it to actually getting paid because somebody tried to steal it enough money that I was able to then go on and um, use that as leverage to purchase another vehicle that was actually better than the vehicle I had before. So here's the question that I'm trying to ask you to think about tonight. Who's stealing your car? And what is God up to in that process? What is the enemy seeking to steal from you? Or what has the enemy stolen from you? And is it possible that you could get paid back double 
Is it possible that you could receive more from the Lord than what you think you have lost or what you have, in fact, lost in the past? Let me read uh, this scripture just to kind of start us off tonight. This is from Isaiah 61. It says in verse 7, Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be recognized and honored among the nations, and everyone will realize that they are a people that the Lord has blessed. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just come to you tonight and, and all of us in different ways have experienced loss. Lord Jesus, you said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But you've come to give life and life more abundant. And so we come to you with all the things that, that we've lost, the things that have been destroyed, the things that we've even experienced the death in. But we're seeking after the life that you have to honor. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would not just open up our minds to understand your word, but open up our hearts and souls to receive an impartation of faith from you, to believe you for every promise that you want to give to us. Father, I pray that you would accomplish in and through us what you want to accomplish in the world by releasing faith in us for what you want to do. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So, uh, I want to, the, the, the background really of, of where this sermon came from, of, of asking God about this double blessing, is um, uh, right after Easter, as you recall, we had already uh, stopped having services uh, in person. We were worshiping like we are now on television and online. Uh, and uh, uh, Life Church, which is um, a tremendous church that God uses greatly in the world, they actually have created the online platform that we use on our website. And I had heard through them that uh, like 20,000 churches had added uh, their live platform and were beginning to share their message like we had already been online. And they were hearing reports back from those churches of tens and tens of thousands of people who would profess their faith in Christ. And I just had an impression in my spirit at that time. Some of you may remember, I actually prayed this uh, in one of our services, but I had an impression from the Lord to pray and ask God, Father, would you uh, bring it about so that uh, twice as many people would come to faith for the first time in, in Jesus Christ and be baptized and begin to become followers of Jesus. Twice as many people would come to faith during this pandemic, however long this season is, than the number of people who die from the virus. And so I began to pray that prayer in faith, but I also uh, just took that impression and I said, okay, Lord, is there scripture to back this up? Is there, and I had heard people pray over the years. Maybe you've heard this. People would say, Lord, we're praying that you would pay back double what the thief stole from me. But I didn't know where that phrase came from. And so I began to look in scripture and sure enough, it actually is in God's word. If you go to Exodus chapter 22, just after the 10 commandments, of course, one of the 10 commandments is thou shalt not steal. But then Exodus chapter 22 unpacks um, that commandment a little bit further. And it says in Exodus 22 verse nine, this is, the, this is the law of restitution. The law of restitution in Exodus 22 verse nine says, suppose there's a dispute between two people who both claim to own a particular ox or donkey or sheep or article of clothing or any lost property. Both parties must come before God and the person whom God declares guilty must pay double compensation to the other. 
So there it is in the law. It says whatever, an ox or a sheep or whatever gets stolen, double comp compensation. There's other places in Scripture that's even more than double, but it's a minimum of double compensation. So it's not just pay back what was taken, but it's pay back double that's in the law. And you're like, well, that's great. I haven't have a lot of trouble lately with anybody stealing my ox. But you need to understand how to interpret the law. When the Old Testament law is given, God gives very concrete, specific details which have much greater spiritual principles attached to them. Paul gives us an example of this in the New Testament, so you know I'm not making this up. He takes a law in Deuteronomy that says, uh, you should not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And Paul, in the book of Corinthians in the New Testament, says, hey, is God just concerned about an ox? He says, no, he's actually concerned about us. He wrote this law because of a spiritual principle that we should make sure that we're paying those who are being sent out as missionaries so they can spread the gospel in the world. So Paul gives us a key to a New, New Testament interpretation of an Old Testament law, which is, that God is not just concerned about somebody stealing an ox, but he's, he's concerned about this spiritual theft. How many understand there is a spiritual thief? There is an enemy of your soul that is trying to seek to steal from you your spiritual inheritance and take it away from you. And God is concerned that you would not just receive back what the enemy has taken, but actually receive double. That's the law of restitution. And so uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, it reminds us, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This is, not, this is not a sermon about somebody physically stealing something from you. It says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There are spiritual forces that are our enemy. We are engaged, as Jared was saying earlier, in a spiritual war. They are seeking to steal from us, but our, our, our battle then is not against human beings that would seek to steal from us, although that may be the tool that God, I mean, that the enemy uses against us, but that's not our battle. Our battle is with the spiritual forces, and God's law of restitution says that we'll be paid back double for whatever the thief takes. The reason for that, secondly, is that God is a God of justice. God is a God of justice. The law reveals the character of God. The psalm says of God that the, in Psalm 89, it says the foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice. Did you catch that? The foundation of the throne of the God of the universe is righteousness and justice. If he ceased for one moment to be perfectly righteous and just in everything that he does, the entire universe would crumble and dissolve into nothingness. The foundation of his cosmic rule is his righteousness and justice. And that justice is supposed to be a source of joy for us. Unfortunately, in the way that we've told the story of Scripture, we have often caused the justice of God to be something uh, that we're resistant to because we tell the story um, as if, um, uh, so uh, that when Jesus went to the cross, that God's justice was against us because of our sins, and, but, but then God in his mercy shed the blood of Jesus to forgive us from our sins, so now the justice of God no longer comes against us. Well, that's, that's true, but that's only part of the story because that implies that God's justice and his mercy are somehow at war with each other, and God is one God. His, his attributes are not at war with each other. They're all in unity, and the Scripture says we should rejoice in the justice of God. And so what we need to understand is that uh, that, that was only the first step. God was taking our sin— and, and dealing with it so that his justice would not come against us. He took away our sin, covered it with the blood of Jesus, so that he could take us out of the line of fire, so to speak, so that then his justice could freely flow against the enemy without harming us and enable us to receive all the blessings that he wants to give us and all the defeat would come to the enemy. So that it was actually the justice of God and the mercy of God were working 
together in order to release justice into the world. So this is what it says in Colossians 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, he, Jesus, canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Why? In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. So they no longer had an accusation to hold against us. And then that enabled the next thing to happen. He shamed them. Jesus shamed the enemies uh, of the spiritual enemies of darkness that were against us. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So God takes away our sin and he forgives it. Yes, but then he fully releases his justice against the enemy and for us. So we rejoice in the justice of God because it means that we are getting paid back for all that was taken from us and the enemy is being taken out of the way by the cross of Jesus Christ and the victory that he won there. So we have the law of restitution. We have the God of justice, which leads us to the principle of proportionality. So that, that single law of that double blessing is actually played out throughout Scripture in, a, in many different ways in a principle of proportionality, that, that things should match together in proportion. So in the negative side of that, in Psalm 9, verses 15, it says, The nations have fallen into the pit that they dug for others. Their own feet have been caught in the trap that they set. So this, it gives us this picture of somebody going out and somebody's going down a path and they're digging a pit so that you'd fall into it. But instead of you falling into it, they end up falling into the pit or the trap that they himself set. So God has a principle of proportionality. The very way in which the enemy attacks you, he will use in his justice to be the means through which he brings about the end to that enemy. So that's the negative side, but Jesus also gives us the positive side. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. These are uh, some powerful verses. I've taught a whole Bible study on these verses. I may do that again um, sometime soon because there's so much packed in uh, to these statements. But listen to the teaching of Jesus. He said, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The measure that you give will be the measure that you give back. So there's a proportionality. There is a matching between what's given and what comes back, whether that's positive or negative. So uh, for me and my family, uh, my grandfather on my, on my mother's side um, was an alcoholic. And uh, he abandoned uh, her abandoned his family when she was very young. And, uh, and so alcohol stole a lot uh, from, uh, from my mother. It stole a lot from my grandfather. And, uh, and that affects down into my, my family line through that. Um, but later in his life, my grandfather uh, got sober and he began to work with Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, I only met him actually twice in my life. Um, but I remember going to his funeral, and my mom had been able to reconcile uh, with him before he died and, uh, and rebuild that relationship. Not all of her half-brothers and sisters had. There were people in the room, uh, his own uh, children, who were still bitter at him because of the father he had been when he, when he was drunk. Um, and so the consequences of that continued. But I remember standing in that room, and there were like dozens and dozens of people that stood up and said, hey, I was uh, uh, enslaved to alcohol, and this man brought me out of it. This man uh, saved my life. They would literally say, he saved my life. See, God took the thing, alcohol, in this case, that was against me, my family, my mom, my grandfather, 
And yes, it had consequences in his life, but God repaid back double. He saved many lives through the very thing uh, that had been stolen and attacked against my grandfather. And I, I believe that I'm partly here today preaching to you because God is continuing to pay back double in my family line uh, what was taken away through alcohol from my grandfather, which has really given me faith in, in another area since I'm telling you family stories about my grandparents. On the other side of my family, my father's uh, great-grandfather, um, I remember hearing uh, only one story about my great-grandfather, um, and that was that... Um, he had a store during the Great Depression, and he, he was a farmer primarily, but he had a store, and he would, uh, people would come in, and they would, didn't have any money, and he would just give them things on credit, you know, give them things on, you know, just write it down and, and pay me when you're able to. And, uh, and so he was just giving away to others, and eventually he lost the store, and it shut down. That was the only story I ever heard about him. And, uh, and I've been honest uh, with you as a congregation before that I've had financial struggles in my life. Um, that's, that's been in my family. And so um, that shaped my thinking as I would think about, oh, this is my family story that my great-grandfather gave and it ended up causing him to lose that store. And a seed was formed in my mind of thinking that I can't ask God for provision, that God doesn't always come through uh, financially. That, and, and so as I began to really uh, study this principle, I began to realize, no, that's not what God wants from me. He doesn't want me to be, have stolen from me my identity as a son of God and a God who will provide and care for me, but rather to begin to go to the courts of heaven and say, Heavenly Father, you have a principle of proportionality. The thief stole from something from my family. My great-grandfather was trying to follow what was right. He was trying to give to those who were in need, but he lost that store. Uh, would you restore back to my father, to my brother, to me, to my sister, into our family line what they stole? This is not a, I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying God make me rich because something happened to them. No, I'm saying uh, that God increase my faith to trust you for provision and make me a blessing to other people. I'm not going to uh, just attach into a lie that the enemy told me about who my identity is in Christ because of something that happened to my great grandfather. But instead, I'm going to begin to seek God for this double blessing that he's promising because it's in the nature of his justice. That's my story. What does the story of Scripture tell us about this? The testimony of Scripture, as I begin to look at this, this runs all through Scripture. Go, go read through it and look for the double blessing, and you'll start to see it. So Job, this whole story of Job, you may remember that God allowed Satan to accuse Job and to take everything from him, family, wealth of every kind, everything, his whole health was taken from him, everything but his life. But at the end of Job, if you can make it through reading all 40 chapters, you're going to find out that what God does in the end, it, says he, it literally says he gave him double of everything that Satan had taken from him. Uh, a double of everything that was taken away in the story of Job. Esther's story. Go study that one. There was Haman. There was an enemy that represents the enemy of God's people. Everything that he planned, he had planned to have her family hung uh, on a gallows. He had planned to have the enemies of her people destroy them. By the end of the story, he himself, the enemy, was hung on the very gallows that he built with his own hands. And the enemies of God's people were defeated through the very circumstance that they tried uh, to come against God's people. God brought about a double, uh, re double repayment, both for the enemy and for his people. David, King David's story, so many times God paid him back. In fact, he learned so much of the heart of God, of how God would repay him back when he suffered for doing what was right. He learned so much about how God would repay him that there was a story that's told in 2 Samuel 16 of when David was walking along and he had his whole army with him. 
and a man who's one of his enemies comes out and begins to insult him, curse him, and throw dirt at him. And his general says, hey, the army's here. Do you, and he's insulting the king. Do you want me to go chop his head off right now? And David says this, listen. He says, no, don't do anything to him. In fact, let him continue cursing me because it may be that God will hear and pour out a blessing. David knew so much about the heart of God that he actually said, I want more cursing from the enemy if, because I know that God hears all and he will release a greater blessing in my life. Joseph's story, I wanna really unpack for us because I see this so clearly in Joseph's story. Joseph had two promises of God on his life. First of all, he had a spiritual inheritance. He had a spiritual inheritance because he was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. He was one of the 12 sons of Jacob who would become the fathers of the 12 tribes of all of God's people in the nation of Israel. So he had that um, spiritual inheritance. And secondly, he had a calling from God for leadership and honor. He had dreams given to him by God that said, you're gonna be in a position of leadership. Others are gonna bow down. In fact, your brothers, even your father and mother are gonna bow down before you. You will have honor and authority. But all, both of those things were taken away from him by the enemy. His brothers rejected him out of the family. They tried to remove him out of that position of inheritance in the family because they were gonna kill him. And they said, well, we won't kill him. We'll just sell him into slavery. And so he goes down into Egypt in slavery and he's lost that position in the family. And then that calling of honor, instead of that calling of honor, even as a slave, he's falsely accused of rape and thrown in prison. So now he's, been, he's had that inheritance taken away from him. He's had honor taken away from him. He's had false accusation put upon him. But God actually used, if you remember the story, the very prison that Joseph got put into was the means that connected him to Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man in the world at that time. And through Pharaoh, God raised Joseph up to be the second in command of the, uh, of the greatest empire in the entire world at that time, the most powerful person. Jo God raised Joseph up into the position of leadership through the prison that he had, put in, had, had been put in by false accusation. And then what about that spiritual inheritance as one of the tribes of Israel? There's a little part of Joseph's story that I think not a lot of people know, and that is that while Joseph was in Egypt, he had two children. And when the first child was born, Joseph said, I'm gonna name him Manasseh. And scripture says that, that the word Manasseh in Hebrew means to forget. And Joseph said, I'm gonna name him Manasseh because God has made me forget the pain that I endured in my father's household. In other words, God had so blessed him in Egypt that he no longer felt that bitterness, anger, and pain over how his brothers had rejected him. God blessed him enough for him to forget the pain of the past. But listen, God was not done. Remember, God's, God's law says a double portion, a double blessing in return. It wasn't enough to just even the scale and say, I've forgotten the pain of the past. Joseph had a second son, and he named the second son Ephraim. And Ephraim literally means double fruit. It means double fruit. And he said, because God has now made me fruitful in the land of my pain and oppression. See, God loves to make us fruitful out of our place of pain and oppression. He loves to take the thing that we've suffered in and use it to make us spiritually fruitful, to make us uh, impactful into the world for the kingdom of God, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to bring hope and healing to other people. He loves to make us fruitful, to not just heal our past hurt, but actually leverage that hurt and turn it into fruitfulness and ministry into the world. And if you go on and you study uh, the, the history of Israel, what you'll see then is that uh, Joseph, the, the, you'll notice in the list of the tribes, there's not a tribe called Joseph. There's no tribe of Joseph. 
There's a tribe of Manasseh and a tribe of Ephraim. Instead of losing his position as a tribe, he became a double tribe in the land. And I believe God wants to take some of you who, who have gone through something, and, 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 and maybe you've gotten to that Manasseh point. Maybe you've gotten to the point, okay, God, you've comforted me. I'm over that past thing. I'm, maybe I'm over the bitterness and the anger of the hurt. But God is challenging you, I believe, to ask him to make you fruitful, to make a double blessing in your life like he did in the life of Joseph, which brings us to um, the fifth thing, which is uh, there is a responsibility of faith. There's a responsibility of faith. See, God wants to do these things uh, for us, but he, he wants to partner with us with our faith. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God because whoever comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, in our culture, we're all full with pride, and we like to, only, we like to never actually have to ask for anything. Um, and if we do, we feel like we should only ask for what we absolutely need. But, but God says what, what pleases him, he's a giver God. What pleases him is the faith to ask for more. And so he wants us to come to him and believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, to partner our faith with God's promise and say, okay, in the area that the enemy has come against me, I'm gonna ask for not only recompense, not only survival, not only restitution, but a double blessing and a fruitfulness upon my life into the world. Jesus said, he told a parable to his disciples, Luke chapter 18, you can read through it, where he said, I want to teach you how to pray boldly and with perseverance. And so he tells him a story about a widow who had had stolen from her her inheritance. So she goes to court. She goes to the judge. And Jesus said it was a wicked and an unjust judge, but she went persistently. She went boldly. She went night and day asking that judge to give back what had been stolen from her. And Jesus said that the unjust judge finally relented and gave her what she was asking for just to get her off of his back, just to get her to quit annoying him. And Jesus is making a point. He says, if the unjust judge will restore what was stolen when you boldly ask for it, how much more would the God of justice want to do that? How much more does God want to pour into your life? He is challenging you. Don't be timid in prayer. Don't hang back and say, well, I don't, you know, I'm just a sinner. I don't want to ask God for too much. No, he has already forgiven your sin by the blood of Jesus, but now his nature of justice is he wants to bring down the enemy that came against you and he wants to bring reward and fruitfulness into your life. He, he's teaching us through this parable, go to the court of heaven, bring your case before God and, and ask God to act in your life. Ephesians chapter one, verses 18 through 23 uh, Paul prays for the Ephesians. He says, you've, you've already received uh, the forgiveness of God. You've already received the Holy Spirit within you. But now he says, I'm praying for you constantly. And I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those he's called, his holy people who are rich in, in, in his glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul's saying, listen, you've come to Christ, you've believed in him, you've, you've been rescued out of your sin, but now I want your eyes to be open to the greater power that is within you and the greater wealth of inheritance that God has for you so that you would begin to ask God, who, the God who can give you more than you ask or imagine, begin to come before him 
and say, Lord, give me that power, that resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. I believe that same power is at work in my life to overcome the works of the enemy, to undo the works of the enemy, and to bring more of God's justice and peace and goodness and blessing into the world. So uh, as, as we were thinking through this, um, uh, Jared and I actually wrote a song together called Turn It Around along with Abby, his wife. And, uh, and so uh, just putting some of these thoughts into a song. And, and so I want to give you five steps as kind of an action point out of this. Five steps of how you can turn it around. How you can take what the enemies come against you with, what the thief has stolen from you, and turn it around to this double blessing. Number one, real quickly, is to um, identify what the theft is. So the first thing you would do if, the, if you had had something stolen from you, you call the police, is identify what's the item that was stolen. And, and so to have that moment where you're asking God uh, and the Holy Spirit, reveal in my life, what is it that the enemy has stolen from me? Is it in the area of finances? Is it in the area of, of uh, a marriage? Maybe you've been through a difficult divorce and, and you've and you've lost a lot through that process. Maybe it's uh, other relationships with family. Maybe it's situations with your, with your children. Maybe it's in your health. Uh, uh, certainly in all those things, your spiritual identity and your level of faith, your ministry and calling that God has for you. Is there anything that's been stolen from you? Identify the thing that the enemy is trying to take away from you and begin to bring that before God. Number two, release the right to revenge. Release the right to revenge. Um, listen, in Scripture, I could, we could do a whole sermon on this, and I, I'm not going to be able to do it justice, but in Scripture, revenge is not a bad thing. It's just not our thing. God says, uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. He is the God of justice. We release it to him. And so Jesus said, I tell you in the, Mark chapter 11, I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe you've received it, it will be yours. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sin too. See, he's saying don't be in partnership with the accuser. Don't be in a partnership with the enemy that's trying to bring somebody else down. Uh, just release the right to revenge and partner with God to, to receive the good things that he has into your life. The third thing is to give thanks for God's good intention. When we go back to the story of Joseph and we look at how is Joseph able to maintain this faith and trust in God and not fall into bitterness and hatred towards his brothers? How was he able to believe God that the promises of God would still come true when he was down in slavery and in that prison? And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it really reveals the secret to, to Joseph's ability to persevere for that double blessing. When his father had died, his brothers came to him and they thought, oh, he's, he's going to take it out on us now. And they begged him, please forgive us, even though he'd actually already forgiven them. They said, please forgive us. And Joseph said this powerful word to them. He said, you meant it for evil. See, he didn't, he didn't uh, sweep it under the rug. He didn't pretend that they didn't do harm to him. He didn't say, oh, it's okay. It's no big deal. No, he said, you meant it for evil. But listen, God meant it for good, for the saving of many lives. Not that you did something evil, but then God also did something good, but rather in the very exact same circumstance that you were intending for evil, God used the same circumstance for good. And that is uh, how we have to give thanks for God's good intention. Thanksgiving is the key that unlocks uh, all mental health. It's the key to all happiness. It also is the key to entering into the courts of heaven and receiving the justice of God. The scripture says we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We come with a thankful heart for his good intention to say, God, others meant it for evil. The enemy came against me for evil, 
but you have something good for me in the heart of this. And so I give you thanks even when I don't understand it. I thank you for it because you have good intentions. You're a good, good father to me. And so then number four, four we want to ask boldly for full restitution. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy to help in time of need. We don't need to come timidly. Listen, I, I think there's probably two reasons why we come timidly to God about this. Number one, we think, well, God isn't actually gonna bring justice in this lifetime. He's just gonna bless me when I get to heaven. It is true that God's ultimate justice and his ultimate blessing on us will not come until we are in the resurrection and the new heaven and the new earth. We won't experience all the blessing that God has for us until then. But Jesus said the kingdom of God is here among you now. And he sent the Holy Spirit to, to, to make the kingdom of God manifest among us. And Jesus told us to pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let thy kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our whole purpose as a church is to be a witness to the goodness of God. And so to boldly ask God to bless me now, yes, I won't experience the fullness of God's grace until the new creation, but I can begin to manifest and witness to that new creation here and now. The second reason why we don't come boldly, I think, is that we have this mindset, well, I'm just a sinner and I don't deserve uh, anything more from God than just that he forgave my sins and, and, and I should be content with that. The problem is uh, if God's word says that the blood of Jesus already covered all your sins and then he put the righteousness of Christ on you and he wants you to be a kingdom of priests and a, and a royal priesthood bringing the blessing of God into the world, it's like we're saying, um, I'm not sure if the blood of Jesus is really enough for me to come boldly to the throne of grace. No, if we know, if we believe that the blood of Jesus has truly washed clean all of my sins and given me the righteousness of God, then I don't come to God with an attitude, oh, I'm just a poor, humble sinner. I say, thank you for all that you did on the cross. And now I want, you, I want to receive into my life all that you died to give me so that I can be the channel of all the blessing you want to put into the world. And so I would challenge you to boldly ask for God to do that double blessing in your life. And then ultimately, number five, just remember that God specializes in resurrections. Often when we're praying for something, uh, we, we reach a point where we think, well, if it happens by this point, then the, uh, if it doesn't happen by this point, that'll be the end of the, um, it, it can't happen after that. And, and so we, we pray and uh, maybe something happens, we think, well, it's over. There's nothing more that God can do. And sometimes, quite literally, we experience death. Maybe we're praying for someone to be healed, but that person dies. Or maybe it's in a more metaphorical sense. We're praying for a, a marriage to be saved, but it still ends in divorce. Whatever it is where we experience that moment that it's like it died, uh, we have a choice. Do we give up? Do we just modify our theology to fit our circumstances? Or do we double down on God's word and say, yes, uh, I didn't get what I thought would happen in answer to my prayer, but God, I still believe you that even through this situation that seems like a death or maybe literally is a death in my life, you are the God of resurrection. You can go beyond even death itself and bring that double blessing into the world, that restoration of what uh, the thief has stolen from me. And so I just want to encourage you uh, to begin to see in this season of, of this pandemic, so much has been taken from so many people, whether it's economically, whether it's health-wise, whether it's mental health challenges that we've had from all this isolation, let's begin to go to God and say, God, would you bring about a double blessing for all that we've lost, for all that we've suffered? And, and whether, whatever your situation is, I pray that you would just uh, begin to go to God and see him work a double blessing, to turn it around, every curse into a blessing, and, and so that he would be glorified through his church.
Now, I just want to say, um, as we get towards the end tonight, that um, with, the, with the killing of George Floyd, you know, the, the whole atmosphere um, shifted. Not that it was new, um, that uh, the many cases like this had happened in the past, but it, it brought it to the surface uh, in such a clear way. And as Jared was saying earlier, there's been such a heaviness uh, in my heart. And I just consider, well, do I still preach this message? Do I try to preach something different? I don't even know what I would say. I don't feel qualified uh, to speak to something. I was telling the group earlier, uh, you know, I'm a white kid that grew up, I grew up in Birmingham public schools, but I didn't even have a single black friend growing up. And, and I, I've sought that out in my life, and I'm so blessed to have uh, new friends and pastors that God's brought in my life, even over recent years, that I'm so thankful for. But I just felt like, do I have anything to say into the, the, the racial tension and issues that are around us? Uh, but I believe that what the Lord showed me is that this message actually uh, is not just uh, related to the pandemic, but also related to this issue. And so I want to say some some maybe tough things for the church. Maybe it's what you want to hear. Maybe it's not what you want to hear. I'm going to speak from my heart to you. And, uh, and the first thing I want to say is, um, is someone uh, heard that I was going to preach a message about stealing, and I think they thought, oh, you're going to like speak out against looting? And I'm, I'm not here to speak out against looting. That's not what this message is about. Remember the whole first point. God's not just concerned about oxen. He's concerned about a spiritual battle. And so uh, I'm... Uh, I want to say this to my African-American brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, here's what I see about this double blessing principle. I believe this message is exactly for you in this moment. God told Abraham, uh, your descendants will go into slavery for 400 years, but I will bring them out and I will bless them and I will pour out increase and strength and wealth and blessing on them after 400 years. And it's been about 400 years since slavery began in, the, in what became the United States. And I believe that we are in a moment today. I believe that in this moment in history, God is restoring the double blessing. And so I just want to speak this word to the African-American community and my brothers and sisters in Christ who are people of color. And not from me, but because I believe the Lord is saying this. He is a God of justice his law is a double blessing, and he is releasing at this moment in history his double blessing of restoration to you for all that has been done. We as, as Americans say things like, well, the people alive today weren't in slavery. No, that's not how God sees things. Look at Scripture. God said to Abraham, Your, Jacob will go into slavery, and Jacob will come up out of Egypt. God saw it as one person 400 years later. Look at Scripture. God says, I will visit things to the third and fourth generation when it comes to sin, but I will show mercy to thousands of those that love me and seek my name. And I believe that in this moment, God wants to restore this double blessing. And so I'm saying to you in the African-American community, would you apply this principle? Would you go to the court of heaven and put in your, um, your request before God to restore all that the thief, all that the enemy has stolen? I believe God is moving now to restore... Uh, numbers of population, family uh, ties, health, wealth, um, honor, authority that has been stolen over the years from what's been done to the African-American people in our, in our uh, in nation and communities. I believe that this is specifically a release of a blessing of ownership. 
You know, God put Joseph second in command of all the land of Egypt, but he didn't own an inch of it. And God, he took the people out of Egypt and he put them in a promised land where they would own the land and own the houses and own the businesses. And I believe God is releasing that to the African-American community now, that there will be ownership of land. There will be ownership of houses. There will be ownership of businesses. There will be ownership of corporations. There will be ownership of patents. And there will be spiritual authority that comes out. More pastors, more prayer warriors, more worship leaders. We've, had, we've been blessed with, with many of those in this community, but even more missionaries going out and bringing the gospel to the ends of the world. More answers to prayer, more spiritual authority. He is pouring out a double blessing on your community. But seek him by faith and ask for this restoration through the blood of Jesus. To those who are like me, God created me white. And so I'm just going to speak from my heart to those who are like me. And, and, and I ask the Lord, what can I say about this? There's so many voices and there's so many agendas. And there's so many, as Jared was saying, forces that are trying to divide the church. And, 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 and there's so many different ways we could go. And I'm not even qualified to speak on all of them. So I asked the Lord, what's my lane? What can I speak to and I felt like what he told me was, Ken, I've called you specifically to be a revivalist. That the, the, my burden in my heart, uh, I want to see the lost get saved. I want to see uh, blessings out in the world. And, but, but more than anything, I want to see within the church, the people of God have revival. And I believe he's called me for that. And I believe this is a moment when God wants to bring about a double blessing on the church. He's... he's brought us into this moment because he wants to bring about a great revival. But listen, there has never been and there never will be a revival without deep repentance and confession of sin. This is our opportunity to confess our sin and to deeply repent and to mourn before God. Not only for our own sin, but for the sins of our ancestors. We say, well, I didn't do it. Listen, I've said that in my life. I said, I didn't, I wasn't there when they lynched people. I wasn't there when there was slavery. I wasn't there in the civil rights era. Listen, God spoke to me very clearly this week. Matthew 23 talks about Jesus told the Pharisees. He said, listen, you put up monuments to the prophets. You build monuments to the prophets. And you say, if I had been alive when my fathers were there, when they killed the prophets, I would not have done it. But those, the same people, the same Pharisees who said, if I had lived in the days when they killed the prophets, I would not have done it, were the ones that killed Jesus, the greatest prophet of all. They totally missed it because they were not willing to recognize that sin passes down through generations. Nehemiah did it. Daniel did it. They confessed and repented of their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. This is a scriptural thing to do. But there was deep mourning and, and conviction. Jesus was was telling those Pharisees, you need to understand, you're the, you have the same wickedness in your heart. If I, I had been alive in the time of slavery, I can't say I wouldn't have been a slave owner. If I had been alive when there were lynchings, I can't say I wouldn't have stood there and watched when someone was lynched. I can't say I would have been on the right side in the civil rights movement if I had been of that age. I can't say that. I have the same heart of wickedness, the same need for a holy God to come and transform my heart from the inside out. I'm not a good person. No one's a good person apart from the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's stop. This is our opportunity 
to receive the gift of revival. But listen, there's a lot of whataboutism. You remember the story of Peter and John after the resurrection? Peter had denied Jesus. He had said, Jesus, I will die for you. But then when it came down to it, he failed him. He denied him. Jesus spoke to Peter and he restored him graciously back to himself. And he told Peter, he prophesied, he said, now you will fulfill the thing that you said you wanted most to do, to actually go and die for me. You're gonna do it. You will die as my witness in the world, but you will be blessed for that. And, and Peter turned to John who was sitting there and he said, what about him? And Jesus said, it's none of your business what I do with him. If, he want, if I want him to stay alive till I come again, I'll do it. You go and do the thing I'm telling you to do. So listen, church, what I'm telling you tonight is, there's a lot of whataboutism. Uh, what about acts of violence b between African Americans? What about acts of violence against police? What about uh, looting? What about things? Listen, God's word has a lot to say about that. And God, God, will, God knows the secrets of the hearts and he will judge. But here's the problem with whataboutism. We need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And what he's speaking to us. What is God saying to us? And we will not hear it while we're arguing with someone else about what aboutism. We need to say, God, what do you, search me, try me. Scripture says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like your fathers did in the past. Today, if you hear God's voice, and let me suggest to you that you could hear him speaking through the last words of George Floyd when he's saying, I can't breathe. He's calling on his mama. Listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. Quit worrying about any other voice. Listen to what God is saying to you. Respond to God. And he will pour out a double blessing of revival in our generation when this church gets holy from the inside out and we take care of our sin. Everyone wants to quote Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. But we want everyone else to turn from their wicked ways. We have to turn from our wicked ways. My 15-year-old daughter saw that video, and she's weeping. I'm not going to talk to her about what about is and what about this and what about that and, and give her a balanced view. I'm going to weep with her and let God work in my life. And I know he'll, he'll work it out with everybody else. God is a good, good father. We have not yet understood, though, the scripture that says, a father that loves a son disciplines him. It is a proof of the love of God when we're disciplined. And right now, white church in America, I believe God is, he's given us a spanking to, to break our heart. Not because he's against us, but because he is for us. He knows what he wants to bring. When the doors open back up and the church comes back together, he knows what he wants to bring into the world. And therefore, he's disciplining us to break our hearts so that we will be ready for the blessing that he wants to pour out on a united church that is experienced through the death of Jesus Christ, the dividing wall being broken down so that there's nothing left between me and any other person of any other race, color, creed, whatever. He has so crucified me with Jesus that I can begin to live in resurrection power.
so tonight the band's going to come and they're going to sing this song that we wrote out of this. We're going to sing Turn It Around. And I believe God is going to do something now. I believe he's doing something right now. He is turning around the curses of the enemy. He's turning them into blessings. We just have to respond to him and no other voice. Listen to the voice of the shepherd. Follow his voice. Respond to him and allow him to turn it around within us to turn every pain into a praise, to turn every curse into a blessing. Let's, let's worship with all of our hearts and respond to God now.